You're listening to Tov, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, this is John Spirisavet, and I'm here again with Dan Ross. Hey, Dan. Hi, John. Good to be back with you. So excited to talk about episode six. You're the first three-timer in the co-hosts, so uh, we've, done our, we've done our introductions before. Hopefully people have listened to our previous conversations, so I'll ask you this time, is there anything in this uh, rewatch through the series that has caused you just personally to think about something because of the show? Well, John, in the very first show that we did together, you asked me what how I would respond if someone were to come up to me and say, instead of reading the Torah, I would like to watch The Good Place and all the episodes of The Good Place. And I have been thinking now, as I've been rewatching each of these episodes, that, you know, watching The Good Place is, is kind of like reading through the Torah, like we do every year. You find something new in every episode, just like you find something new in every Torah portion. So uh, thank you for that inspiration. And, and thank you for inviting me to, to go back on the journey with our, our you know, I guess it's six friends, right? Um, through The Good Place. So it's, it's been so much fun. Yeah, thanks. For me, I've been thinking a lot about this issue of good in the absolute versus good that's relative to me, you know, individually and the magnitude of large actions versus, uh, you know, particular things that can be done on a, a given day. That's kind of a general life theme, I think, for myself. And I've definitely been trying to soak in what each of you have been teaching about that over the course of this time. Mm. So we are uh, talking about chapter six, what we owe each other. You want to give the summary? Sure. I love reading these. Okay. So Eleanor had promised to help Michael figure out what's responsible for the neighborhood's problems. Chidi reminds her of the importance of following through on promises leading Eleanor to flash back on a promise she broke on earth to house sit for a friend moving her mother into assisted living and take care of her dog who suffers from kidney problems. Eleanor tries to keep her promise to Michael and also not to tell the truth by distracting Michael with karaoke and other fun but apparently pointless activities. Tahani tries to bond with Jason who is still pretending to be Jianyu relying on a magic eight ball and other tricks to avoid saying anything too revealing about his true identity. Chidi tries to help by accompanying Tahani and Jason to a couple spots to coach him surreptitiously. And it almost goes awry when Jason thinks an impressionist is not a painter, but a comedian who does impressions. Instead of a large frame <laughs> image of Frank Caliendo, who Jason calls the greatest impressionist of all time, Chidi gets him to give Tahani an impressionist style painting of three ballerinas who look like Tahani. Michael calls a meeting to reveal the source of the problems and just when Eleanor is prepared to face the music, Michael announces that he is the problem and will have to leave them all forever. Well done. <laughs> so I know, I know right before we got on, you were showing me your dog, Rashi. And so you're, you're a bit more of a dog person than I am. That would be, I think, an understatement. So there was this whole thing about the dog in, uh, of the friend on earth of Eleanor's, who uh, Eleanor is supposed to dog sit. And uh, so I was going to say that, you know, that as I have said uh, before, that they try to make Eleanor's bad parts, you know, not quite so bad that we wouldn't like her. And I was thinking, oh, you know, being 
cruel to a dog is maybe, you know, uh, less so than being cruel to a, a person we can actually see. But I'm wondering if that struck you differently, Dan. So I was trying to remember what happened when that, you know, little flashback was introduced because my original thought was, oh my God, does this dog die? Like, <laughs> I, couldn't, I mean, it's like teased, dog has kidney problems. And then what happened, the, uh, the you know, the, the friend she's out, the dog sitting for comes with the dog being carried in a wagon and it's, it's morbidly obese because all she did was like, you know, just leave the food out for the dog. And as somebody who has hired many a dog walker in his life to take care of uh, my little fluff Rashi, who is the light of my life, besides my wife, Jade. Uh, <laughs> I, I I just recall this one time, like right after we had gotten her, we were leaving her <laughs> with a, we were leaving her and we had, or, you know, booked a dog walker and we left treats because we were still training her in like a little, you know, uh, a little plastic bag that the, tra uh, the trainer could give to her when she, she did good things like, you know, pee outside instead of inside <laughs> and uh it was also going to be dinner time for her and so we left a bowl with her food in it but the walker instead of giving her the bowl with the food for dinner gave her all of the treats for dinner <laughs> <laughs> and i just remember the poor thing just like completely disrupted her tummy was like upset for like you know a couple of days after that because you're not supposed to just eat treats <laughs> So, you know, even when you hire someone to take care of your dog, you can't always count on them to do what they're supposed to do. You you are laughing about this, which makes me wonder how seriously you take uh, the issue of cruelty to animals. Oh, no, I mean, like, listen, she just had <laughs> treats for dinner. I mean, it's it's not so bad, right? I mean, but like I said, I think I think that, you know, you you brought up this point about Eleanor being bad, but not like that bad and like in, in this way it's almost consequentialist right like I remember thinking like oh my god is this dog going to die like I really like Eleanor I've been rooting for Eleanor how can I keep rooting for Eleanor maybe I just completely forgot this I, you know I watched the show like two or three years ago and then thank god the dog doesn't die I, I wonder as a dog lover if they had killed the dog <laughs> if I could ever have watched the show again I, pr I probably couldn't have I mean but then again this show has had a dog kicked into the sun so. there you go. I was gonna yeah, say so, so you've survived that you've made it through that so that must be that must be yeah good. I, I will say that I was the worst uh, substitute dog sitter probably in in history a friend of mine it was the year, the summer after I graduated high school was dog sitting and house sitting for someone and he had to go away and he knew that I was not a pet person. I've managed to accommodate to dogs now and and he asked me if I would just go in periodically and 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 I was afraid of the dog and the dog the dog was afraid of me. It was really <laughs> I think food was put out and I think probably you know, things happened in places that they weren't supposed to happen in the house and um but I think it was his fault for putting me you know, leaning on me. Yeah, I, you, I hope I didn't collect payment for like his share of the payment for that. Well, you know, you you just, you know, you weren't set up to succeed. And, and I will say, challenge accepted. I promise you that my dog, Rashi, when we have the chance for you to meet her in person, mm. even people who don't like dogs say that she is relatively inoffensive. Uh, so and I do, I think, I do I think, like them. And, I, and okay. certainly in, conceptually, I like them. <laughs> I like the say, idea of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I was very proud of myself about something as I watched this episode, which is that um, I caught a glitch. I'd say my wife, Lori, is a big fan of the IMDb website where often they have little 
like errors, whether it's continuity or other things like that. So in the scene where uh, they're out in the neighborhood investigating uh, who could possibly have been involved in some of the, the glitches in the neighborhood, Janet presents a, a sheet of paper to Michael with all the people who are part of the cleanup in, in chapter two, the garbage cleanup. And I noticed as this as she was giving him that, that that someone was handing Janet behind like a big ream of paper, like a whole a whole set of you would get out of copy paper. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then they cut to the close up and, and you get the boop, you know, the Janet boop. And then it's just that. And here is a list of everybody who was participating in the flying, which was like, you know, reams and reams of paper. And I thought, oh, somebody off screen handed that to her like it was supposed to just appear. And they forgot to cut that part out. And um, so anyone in my family will tell you that I, I'm really not that observant about things that are in front of my face. So I would say I'm I am an observant Jew, but I'm not an ab I'm not an observant Jew. <laughs> I, did observe, I did observe that. Um, oh, good catch. Good anything, catch. That's a good anything uh, else kind of on the episode that you really uh, liked? I thought the the scene uh, where they're getting you know when they're in the all in the spa together was which was pitch perfect and it, it almost had like a Cyrano de Bergerac kind of quality about it like a little bit where you know uh, Chidi is trying to give voice to whatever Jason Janyu is supposed to be doing to impress Tahani it almost uses like are Chidi and Tahani gonna be a thing right mm -hmm. like <laughs> so so that that I thought was really was really fun. I, I'm glad you said I went right to Cyrano, which I didn't remember from the first watch of this. And and back when I was when I first read Cyrano in I think twelfth grade, boy, we seem to be going back to my my twelfth grade year. I remember reading that, and I thought I, I am exactly that. I am the uh, I am the smart guy who like uh, girl is never going to want to go out to. But and I probably I don't think I coached my friends by like giving them lines certainly, but <laughs> but I super related. I, on the teenager theme, this idea that when at the end there, when uh, my Michael says, Janet, give me my my hoodie or something like that. And uh, so that he can lie down on the ground and go into his his uh, kind of teenage despair, which I thought was really funny just because of how enormous Ted Danson is. And then also just the idea that Janet, like she's already she would be aware of that he has a hoodie and what he would use it for. And she just kind of looks at him and hands him this uh, hoodie that appears. I thought that was mm -hmm. it was super the funny. slow reveal of Janet's powers throughout each of these episodes drip 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 is just is just consistently a treat they do a, a superb job of character development across the board but as they build her into what what she ultimately becomes over the course of these first few episodes and and, and in later seasons it, it's it's she's and she's just awesome she's just awesome the best yeah and i forgot kind of how long it's taking for her to really uh, show her stuff. I mean, her being Janet and her being Darcy Carden. Although, you know, again, you know, not a girl. So <laughs> <laughs> did I say, did I? No, no, no I mean, I actually don't know what pronouns we're supposed to use for Janet. Uh, right. How often she says not a girl. This reminds me of actually my niece, uh, Jennifer, maybe Jennifer's listening to this, who when she was uh, in grade school, I remember having a conversation. She went to Jewish day school and she was talking about God on the telephone with me and something she was doing and referred to God as a he. And I said, uh, I was just curious, why are you referring to God as a he? And she said, uh, well, first of all, everybody talks about God as a he. I thought, well, that's, that's probably what she's heard. And then she said, uh, God sounds like a boy's name. Oh my God. <laughs> 
And Janet, you know, sounds like a yeah, sounds like a girl's name. So I'm um, interesting in terms of kind of cultural reference. We have the Magic Eight Ball, and I was wondering if you know you and I are slightly different generations. Is that a was that part of your youth? I have one on my desk, oh. although it's red, not black. Oh. Pretty sure it was a gift that was given to me when I started at Central for like you know you need to make a tough decision or you need to know what to say to a congregant. <laughs> shake the magic eight ball it's it, all the wisdom is in there <laughs> and i guess if you say you're posing as a as a monk you know it's you could theoretically be holding some sort of orb that that would sort of fit in with your with your uh costume and uh, but then i love how they generalize it to the <laughs> he's just looking for anything at all to say in response to, to anything <laughs> and he comes up with made in taiwan which i think to some would say oh that's that's correct or is that, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Tahani. <laughs> that, was, mm. that was great. Um, I love the line about frozen yogurt when Eleanor is asking Michael why why all the big deal. It says I something like I love how human beings take something that's perfect and make it just a little bit worse. <laughs> oh my God, that's that's yes, yes, that was uh, that was definitely a spot on line. I mean, are you a frozen yogurt fan? I think we talked about this before, but you know, I, I uh, partly just for my own uh, health reasons, I used to have a bad habit of eating uh, a lot of ice cream late at night as sort of a bedtime mm -hmm. snack. And so in order, to, it was kind of my frozen yogurt became sort of my my methadone. I don't mean to make light of any issues around addiction, certainly at all. But oh, yeah. um, but when possible, I feel like uh, I try to eat frozen yogurt. It's certainly more of what I have around the house than ice cream. Mm -hmm. So, um, Fair enough. so it, can, it can be quite it can be quite good. Um, mm -hmm. I want to recommend Yasso uh, bars, which are they are not a sponsor. But if you're out there, Yasso, you're welcome to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> oh yeah, I I mean um, I I love a good frozen yogurt. I love the frozen yogurt with the with the toppings bars, especially right. You know, like when I, when I lived in D.C., I used to uh, in my building was a a frozen yogurt store, and that and that was like a pretty regular occurrence for me that I would go and I would you know fill up a little bucket of frozen yogurt and then put all the hot fudge on it because the hot fudge you didn't have to pay for it was oh. after they weighed the frozen yogurt and so like that's that's really where it's at <laughs> they charge by the weight yeah i just point out one more thing i loved which i think there was a reference i might have gotten at some point when they're they have this whole thing about friends the show friends that are is kind of woven in there and and truth be told i didn't i thought that was a little heavy-handed but but there was some point i thought where michael was making some reference to ross and phoebe and eleanor like bumped on that as an interesting like of all the friendship and then i was thinking well because you know there's the, i think the and i hope i'm not wrong about this the six friends and the six characters but anyway but then i was thinking like in a way michael and eleanor are kind of like ross and phoebe if you were going to map these these uh, people on and i thought that might be that might be kind of interesting you know um, i never watched friends wow you're the I first know. person i think i know <laughs> yeah well you know just didn't get into it good for you it. good for you <laughs> the crowd. that's that's awesome <laughs> So I, I have to say, like, I, I thought this episode, which I really loved, was kind of philosophically uh, hard to hard to latch onto. I thought the title, What We Owe Each Other, is tremendously uh, suggested, but I don't really think that was exactly what the episode was about. I thought it was actually a bit uh, muddled and not having a particular theme, which I think is totally okay, by the way. There are these two ideas of promises and friendship, which are introduced way up top and i think that there is 
really a difference between them. The kind of obligations that flow from promises and the obligations that come from friendship aren't aren't the same. Um, I think Chidi was talking at the start about he he introduced contractualism, but I think actually they did. This is the one time I think they first time they haven't done like a great job explaining why a concept is relevant. I think he was saying like the a promise creates some kind of obligation right there but when uh when eleanor is trying to figure out how to be a friend to michael who kind of in a way sort of entraps her into making that statement that then she kind of feels like a general obligation not just because she promised specifically to help him she said something like i am as a person who has audibly promised to help you that's not that that's not how i would think of a friend (laughs) (laughs) and um and friendship has i'd say i think has different obligations i believe that we'll end up uh, dropping this particular episode of our podcast in the period right before yom kippur which makes it really interesting to talk about the idea of promises on yom kippur we have this Mm. prayer of kol nidre where we talk about all the varieties of our, I guess you could say promises, and we, we name out categories. And then we actually say that we we kind of want, we want out of them, or we want to be released from them. And there are different interpretations as to whether that's talking about the past uh, promises of our year that we, we know we didn't fulfill, or the ones that we know we're about to. But I thought I would partly read this passage from, uh, the, from the Torah from Deuteronomy to set this up, which I think creates the, the general framework. I, I'll give you this uh, English translation. This is Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 22 to 24. If you make a vow to Adonai your God, do not delay to complete it, for Adonai your God will seek it from you, and you would have sin in you, I guess if you didn't do it. When you when you don't vow, you will not have sin in you. What comes out of your mouth, be careful to do, exactly as you have vowed as a voluntary offering to Adonai your God, which you have spoken in your mouth. And I think you know Judaism has this big set of ideas around the the particular words that we say that I remember learning goes really way back to the first chapter of Genesis where God got everything God says happens. There's no gap between God's words and and the reality of the world actually being created. I wish I could name the person who first explained that particular concept to me in exactly that way. But I think that might have some reason why vows are so important. And the Torah does talk about like the specific words you say out loud create something that has to, that then is like out there and has to be completed. Well, there's actually a lesson, you know, um, speaking of explaining something like this. So there's a, a scholar named Yoram Hazoni, who's an Israeli philosopher and Bible scholar who wrote a, a really great book called The Philosophy of Hebrew Scripture. And one of the things that he talks about in that book is that, you know, to your point, John, the word for thing in Hebrew is the same as the word for word, devar. And so there is no gap between the words that we use and the things that the words that we use describe. I mean, there's this flashback stuff to Eleanor who made a promise and very deliberately clearly didn't do it. It's not clear she had any real intention of doing it. I mean, not even the letter of it. Like, I think the deal was you got to stay in this house with this dog, feed it um, and give it its kidney medicine or whatever, kidney, kidney healthy stuff. And she didn't want to do it. And then when she had the chance to go to the Rihanna thing in Vegas, she just, she just left. That seems to come back to her when she thinks about this promise to Michael, that she feels like she made this promise kind of blithely to help him uh, figure out the issue of the neighborhood to buy time, even though she knows like she can't fulfill her promise without, 
without revealing something about herself. And I thought that was kind of an interesting predicament to put herself in. Yeah, it brings to quite, you know, it brings to mind the question of honesty, how, how those two relate to each other, honesty and promises and, and, and trust. You know, a metaphor that sort of also came up for me that I've heard used a lot in, you know, professional development is I actually had the chance to learn with a coach named Deborah Grayson Regal, who, who talks about a metaphor of promises and trust as, as seeing, being sort of like a bank that we have. At times we need to, we make deposits into the bank when we do things like successfully watch a neighbor's dog or a friend's dog. And then sometimes we need to make withdrawals from the bank for, for whatever reason, uh, just because we're human. I mean, to be human is to, to sometimes have to not follow through on our work. So I, I think that that's a useful way sort of to think about how, it, you know, it's inherently transactional, right? Like in, in, in that, that's how I would problematize it. And that, that's the critique I would offer. And yet at the same time, it's a useful framework for thinking about how our relationships are informed by the promises that we make to each other. That is a, such an interesting metaphor. If I understand what you're saying, you're saying that a promise in a way is like, it's like borrowing something you don't have. Mm, it might, it's a debt. Right? It's a debt that you might end up being able to do, right? And some, some of our loans or investments in us, you know, get repaid off because they succeed and some don't. And, but then you would be saying like that, so we have to make the promise in order to, to create something forward. Uh, and that's, I think, what happens with Eleanor here. Like she, she, she knows that something about her own destiny. She almost has to make this promise to Michael to help him. If she, she, I mean, partly for her own self-interest, she assumes if she doesn't, you know, do something to kind of buy some time, then, you know, then she's doomed for sure. And in this passage in the Torah, it talks about that, you know, don't delay to complete it. Once you put the promise out there, it's then like a thing that has exactly almost like a debt. You can't say exactly almost. It's like a debt that has to be repaid or it has it has a, a term that perhaps only God knows. I don't know. But that's well, then what you were, yo, Dan. Oh, yeah. no, the only thing I was just thinking about um, as well as you, you were bringing up, the, you know, the time of year when this episode of our podcast will air, that we're about to enter a Shemitah year. And one of the critical. Tell us. Tell us yeah. So, so a Shemitah year is a sabbatical year. And it's a year um, that's it's a it's a it's a commandment in the Bible that we should let our land lie fallow uh, and sort of you know sort of release ourselves from the the notions of control that we have over over the natural world. And another important dimension of the Shemitah year is the forgiveness of debts. And so the, it's almost to a certain extent something that you know our tradition uh, and coupled with the, the notion of Kol Nidre that our tradition takes very seriously that to be human is to you know find yourself in a situation where you have a delta between the audibly stated that you're going to do as Eleanor, as Eleanor would put it and what you actually do like that, that, that that's an error but I'm sorry I interrupted your, your your point that you were about to make I don't think so in, in a way you're saying there's kind of a, a balance keeping uh, as long as you more fulfill promises than less you're not it may not be that you fulfill that we fulfill all of them yeah it's there's a credit score right like you know a credit score a credit score i know that the, <laughs> this is where it, this is what it's come to capitalism has finally seeped in to this podcast john you've already called for a sponsor today um so i mean it, it was it was almost inevitable <laughs> so trying to figure out how to, how to how to yeah not only see it i guess in that way but the the relational way that's why i think the tension in the episode is between the 
promise as like a specific thing that in a way is a debt. And then this general feeling, I mean, Eleanor clearly has a, a feeling that she wants to, she doesn't want to just kind of uh, occupy Michael and, and distract him from things, but she, at least there's this moment where she really wants to help him, even though it might be to her own detriment. And, and there is the moment, I think it's the moment when he lies down in his, I guess it's not a fetal position. It would be better if it was, but uh, that she has the flashback to kind of when the, when she's confronted with the, with the false, with the promise that she didn't keep with the, the woman and the dog. And she's sitting outside at the, at the cafe or the restaurant and she has no you know she has no remorse back in that moment but but here we are she has this uh, teshuva moment right at that point where she's faced with kind of the same situation and now she doesn't come out and t- she doesn't promise to tell him the truth but she just promises to stay with him and that's mm. so much more gen that's so much more general and in a way not transactional it doesn't mm. feel transactional in that moment mm. But again, I think that like friendship, when we become friends, it's not like making a, it's not like making an explicit promise. We don't have, I've talked about this, I think, uh, from our, from my pulpit before that, that one of the things that's interesting about friendship is we don't have like a formal ceremony the way we do to consecrate other relationships. You don't go mm-hmm. out and sign, you know, you don't have a, like in Judaism, a ketubah, like a friendship contract or something. And it's not even necessarily a moment you can point to. In, and say, oh, we're friends now, or we're this kind of friend. It's just, but but you know, you know that when it sees it, and in this general sense, and, and the obligations we have toward friends kind of vary. Like how good a friend. I think actually for a lot of us during the pandemic, it's been this question of um, did we come through as the kind of friend towards someone we thought we were, or they thought we were? Did people because mm. uh, we haven't expressed these obligations out loud? Like usually you don't say, oh, you know, now that we're friends, I'm going to be there for you in A, B, C, and D way. And that's why I thought the the setup of the episode was a little muddled. Uh, again, it didn't it didn't detract from the the greatness of the of the story, but it definitely I was left kind of in between a friendship and promises as a as a way to organize around this. That's such a that's such a powerful teaching. The delta between uh, the, the fact that we don't do the consecration that you're talking about uh, when we when we make a friendship. I guess I kind of wonder what are the basic expectations that are appropriate that we can have of other people. I mean, is that a, is that a question that you sort of open up with? I mean, we're not going to be friends with everybody. Friends, uh, it's not like fa- life is not like Facebook, right? Like it's not like just click a button and we're a friend. I don't know. Yeah, and there are different these different varieties of relationship. And I, I was saying why I thought the episode was misnamed. What we owe each other could mean what we owe people generally, just by virtue. You know, here are these people thrown together in the good place. Then there's what we owe our friends or the people we have a uh, you know, our partners. And then there's kind of what we owe people we make specific promises to, and those aren't all the same thing. And maybe this episode is just about cataloging, cataloging that. Mm-hmm. I, I like in the, in, the, in the Yom Kippur prayer, the opening thing actually names categories of explicit things we could say out loud. So, you know, a vow is something that we do or we say we're not gonna. We say we're going to do, or we're not gonna do. There's uh, there are things that we say. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from this kind of thing. I'm not gonna enjoy this or get any benefit from it. There are things that we say. I'm gonna take this thing and and dedicate it to a, a sacred purpose. And uh, there are oaths, meaning that we testify like truthfully that 
we're going to promise to say what actually happened about something that we saw. And then the Kol Nidre prayer has these other words that are like, the, if you think there are workarounds to like promise without promising, like <laughs> we've covered that too. Like if you intend anywhere, if you out loud intend anywhere near them, you have to, if you used any of these words, uh, I have friends who uh, who use the term bleneder without a without a vow, uh, whenever they promise anything, in order to make sure that they're not violating. It's saying like this is not a promise, or this is a promise, but it's like I don't want to be held accountable to it being a promise. And uh, which I think what does is that mean? <laughs> no, but I think it's a very powerful way of saying like I know, like I want, I want to be the kind of person who can make promises, but I know that I might fail. So rather than wait till Yom Kippur to have this thing hanging, like the Torah passages, don't don't delay in fulfilling it um, i'm just gonna say right now that this is in this other category of things i i really mean but i i don't want to be held to that standard so i'm curious you know on yom kippur do you have a feeling when you're doing this this prayer at the beginning of the day what it what it means to say it's a classic example of ritual elevating mundane because precisely as you described it textually speaking it's, it's highly contractual. It's highly legalistic. It's, it's meant to close every loophole that we could possibly imagine. And yet the way that we say it, the stakes that we place upon it with its being the transcendent cantorial moment, musical moment, probably of the entire high holy day season, really lifts it up and causes you to see the mundane in a completely different way. Just saying that even though we might be talking about these formulas of almost legalistic formulas of promise, that we're actually talking about all the kinds of promise and promise, promise adjacent mm -hmm. things that we do. Yes, exactly. What about you? I think about how it's meant at the same time to make us take really seriously our words and the words we've said and promised and, and to, to raise them to the stakes of saying, like, we have two choices, which are to fulfill them or to ask very explicitly to be forgiven or released from fulfilling them. And that those are the only choices. Living in that middle place is not good. And we can't go into a day of such intensity where we're going to talk about uh, forgiveness and actually do a lot of uh, confession. We're going to recite we're going to we're going to recite words that are. In the traditional liturgy, they're like alphabetical lists of things that, that we may have collectively done wrong or I might have collectively done wrong. In order to say out loud that I regret them, I have to own up to the fact that I know the difference between a promise I've kept and a promise I haven't kept. And that maybe there's a focusing on that. So so people will say, well, you know, why, why are you starting the day by saying, oh, by the way, everything I say is just bullshit you know that's, that's a terribly strange and you're going to do that by taking torahs out and like hold them and and make a special uh make a special ritual out of it but that i think that that is the point not to draw a contrast but to but to really remind ourselves that this is serious and that we could clean the slate that we're i like what you have started off with by saying that so we're not going to be able to to promise that all our promises are going to be kept but we can promise to recognize the difference between them and we can promise to we can promise not to be false to ourselves and to others and i suppose to the divine about what when a promise is something we've followed through on Mm. There is a traditional melody, and I'll link it in the show notes, to of this Kol Nidre prayer on Yom Kippur, often chanted by a, a cantor, often, uh, lately I've heard, and kind of like a cello accompaniment, accompaniment or without the words. And I wonder if, I don't know really anything about the source of that music, which is kind of simple but but haunting. 
and whether it's meant to evoke any of these emotions or 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 not i don't know enough about music and certainly not about traditional jewish music haunting is 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 truly the the pitch perfect word for it it's the kind of thing that i think if you read it just read it be pretty easy to have your eyes glaze over mm-hmm. but when you hear it sung and when you, you know, when that, uh, we, we have a cello, we have a cello oh, at Central, great. yeah. And so, or back in my Hillel days, I would always do everything I could to find some string player, by, you know, violinist, violist, cellist, et cetera, to, to make sure that we had that. Because when you, when you hear it in that way, it's, it's, it becomes unforgettable, truly unforgettable. One of the things I know from the history of this Kol Nidre prayer is that rabbis, the authoritative rabbis of a thousand-ish years ago, they didn't want it because it seemed to be a, it seemed really to be a denigration of of promises and vows, I guess technically vows, and that it was so, it was so important among the the people, among the community, that it was one of those prayers that be, and rituals that, that was insisted on, and almost like the, the tribal wisdom was that we really do need to talk about our vows and our promises. And I, I like that a lot, that it sort of overpowers the, uh, even the like words of the Torah that say you don't have a way out of your vows or this idea that we're imitating God who who does everything. And I just had a like a light bulb moment, a boop, a Janet, beep, ah. which is that Janet is, is the one who like, doesn't have any gap between like an intent and something coming that if you ask Janet for something, it like appears instantly. There's no, mm. there's no gap. I'm just thinking about that right now. Oh, that's really, that's a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> and so I know in later episodes where that'll sort of go awry, any thought Janet has, she'll try to, she'll summon an object when she's like, when she's glitchy and also she gets glitchy and, but those things happen too. There's no like uh, thinking about it and then it comes. It's all, and, she, and Janet herself, if you summon Janet, you know, she comes in an instant. Thank you, Dan, again. I think we made something uh, focused out of this episode, which had so many different threads. And uh, great to talk to you again. Great to talk to you, too. And Shana Tova to you, uh, John. Happy New Year and Happy New Year to all listening. And uh, look forward to seeing you in 5782. Shana Tova. Have a good year, everyone. And that's another episode of Tove in the Books. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, give it a good rating on whatever app you're using and share it so more people can discover us among all the great podcasts out there. You can follow my co-host, Rabbi Dan Ross, and his Judaism-themed fitness videos on Instagram, at R-A-V underscore W-O-D. I'm John Spiracevet, and I've got a blog, RabbiJohn.net, and I'm on Twitter, at RabbiJS3. We've got show notes with the Jewish texts we discussed here and links to some resources and deeper dives at our website, tovgoodplace.com. T-O-V, good place, all one word. If you've got an idea or a suggestion for the podcast, drop a note to tove at tovegoodplace.com. Again, thanks for including this conversation in your day. To adapt Mark Evan Jackson's sign-off on the official Good Place podcast, now go learn more about something good. Bum 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 bum